Hey, welcome to Track Lunch. This is Rich. I am a musician, a music fan, aficionado, and I happen to know the guy that came up with the afternoon rock genre. My name is Brian. I'm a band guy as well. I'm a songwriter, love anything melodic, and I was uh, a music curator part-time at my morning TV show back in high school 20 years ago. Sometimes. So Brian and I have been best friends and bandmates for about 20 years now, and we love playing music, we love talking about music, and in the course of those discussions, we often encounter some interesting topics uh, to discuss that sometimes don't have a right or wrong answer. It's just musical topics that are fun to discuss, fun to talk about, fun to dive down in the weeds on, if you will, and those are the kind of discussions that we're going to have on this podcast. And being the huge fans of Weezer that we are, we figured what better way to start off the podcast than asking the question, what makes Weezer, Weezer? So that's what we're gonna try to get to the bottom of today. And I figured, Brian, we would start off with a, a little band history of Weezer. Does that sound good? That Was sounds a good, good. good. way to start. So uh, those of you listening to this podcast, I imagine a, a significant portion of you probably know a lot about Weezer and how they started, but just for those that don't, they were formed in L.A., Los Angeles, in 1992 by Rivers Cuomo, Pat Wilson, Brian Bell, uh, and Matt Sharp. And uh, their first album, the uh, Blue Album, as it's known, their self-titled debut release was released May 10th, 1994 on DGC Records and went triple platinum, produced by Rick Ocasek of The Cars fame, recorded mostly at Electric Lady Studios, was a massive success that led to their second album, uh, and that is called Pinkerton. It was released in September of 1996, also on DGC Records. Self-produced, notably, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, the recording was begun at Electric Lady Studios and then finished up at Sound City, and uh, this album had a much rawer sound, musically and lyrically, and it was widely panned uh, at the time, causing uh, a, the, a hiatus for the band uh, until the year 2000 when they came back with the Green Album. But uh, today, we mainly want to focus on the Blue Album and Pinkerton, uh, because I think most Weezer fans would agree that the, the combination of those two in some form is essentially what makes Weezer, Weezer. So I want to ask you, Brian. Let's let's go ahead and talk about uh, our first experiences with both the Blue Album and Pinkerton. So tell me about your first experience with both of those. Well, I wanted to uh, say so. I wanted to stop you midway through oh. because we did have one error. And I will say, if you're listening, um, you know we, we're not perfect. We have the internet just like you, and we do our best. So uh, feel free to message us if we have a uh, an error, a factual error, uh, something like that. Um, but one of the original members was a guy named Jason Cropper. He was uh, an original yes. member of Weezer. Yes. And I know that because uh, he was one of the original guys. I was um, uh, my son actually messaged him one day to see if he review uh, his music. And he was, seemed a little bit interested and, and actually talked to him. It was really cool. So, um, yeah, one of the original members. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what happened or, or why he's uh, still not with the band and all that, but uh, founding member. So, um, and there's so many, so many good members of this band, if you really look at it, because we can talk about bass players. There can be more podcasts just on the members of, of oh, yeah. Weezer um, and what makes each of them really cool and really special. Um, but to answer your question, uh, so, so would you say, are you asking, so my first, when I first heard the name Weezer, when I first 
first heard an album, uh, which one? All the above. All the above. So I wasn't, um, growing up, and so we're talking early 90s, my parents didn't have MTV. And uh, so the only chance I could see any type of music video was on the very late night uh, public TV, public access, or the local Channel 32 uh, television broadcast. So if you're, if you're listening and you're in the uh, Central Florida, Tampa kind of area, you'll know exactly uh, who Mike Pacelli is and, and his show. <laughs> and he used to play videos. And if I was really lucky, I may see something cool. Usually um, it was Aerosmith and it was, um, you know, Liv Tyler, and which is great as well. Um, and uh, all that and, and rock and roll videos. But every once in a while, they would play a video and, and uh, maybe Weezer Undone would, would, would pop in. And I, and I remember seeing that. I remember seeing their video, one camera angle circulating and, and just a, a cool concept. Normal guys playing the lightning strap, all, all the all the stuff of, of folklore. And uh, I remember liking the song. I went to, I was still young, so I was still in the um, uh, kind of between CDs, almost CDs, some tapes still. So I, I put my, um, I put my uh, heart on my sleeve and I went to the music store and I tried this band that I saw online or on, uh, on TV and I got the cassette single of Undone the Sweater Song and Holiday on the B-side. And Holiday to this day is still my favorite Weezer song, but I was so blown away with what these guys were doing because I was a huge Nirvana fan um, and Pearl Jam and, and just sort of the 90s grunge. But there was something different about these guys. There was a geekiness. There was a a, a, a wit to the lyric. There was um, even just, you know, especially if you think Blue Album, it's not depressing. It's it's sort of just a fun album. And um, and uh, I was so used to the depressing grunge that hearing this band that actually kind of made me feel really good, you know, and, and being in high school and, and I just, I loved it. How about you? What was kind of the first the first Weezer taste? It was it was similar. I uh, I did. Uh, I don't know if you want to say have the fortune or misfortune of growing up in a cable house. So we we did have uh, the MTV, and when mom and dad weren't looking, I would uh, I would sneak a peek occasionally at the MTV, and I do remember seeing the video for the sweater song and that was sort of my first exposure and i remember it it, it piqued my interest and it was like man this is this is good i i, I like this I, I dig this vibe i'm into this um but it honestly probably wasn't until the next single buddy holly came out where i was really hooked so i was kind of piqued my interest a little bit with the sweater song but then buddy holly i was all in and i remember i think that i got my first ever copy of the Weezer Blue album, I'm pretty sure it was through the either Columbia House or BMG CD uh, uh, ripoff scam that, yeah. they had, that they had going on there. <laughs> so I, I remember that, and I remember just the 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 stark, just kind of empty, blank canvas sort of, of of the cover, just the simple cover of the three, there are the four dudes, what am I saying, the four dudes, against the blue background and they're just sort of standing there and it's so plain and um but somehow at the same time just kind of epic kind of reminds you of um you know maybe like a beatles cover or something like that where it's just kind of like hey these are the guys here we are this is us you know no crazy you know picture or you know real artsy kind of thing just very straightforward um and i remember uh, that being my my first exposure to them and i remember spinning the blue album quite a bit 
um, when it first came out, most certainly. It's interesting you say that because that kind of the the stark cover, you know, just having them against the blue. We, we have the album. This is actually the one we're, we're looking at now is my original copy that I bought. I actually bought this at a pawn shop. I mean, that you would think that's crazy that somebody would, would sell the CD to a pawn shop. But Sacrilege. I, I, found, I found it used at the pawn shop and I had to have it. And uh, this is my original copy that I still have to this day. I've since then bought it on vinyl, bought the deluxe set with the, with the nuggets and whatever it's called, all the B-sides. But it is funny, they're so young in this picture. And it's cool how authentic this, this is because they've kept this vibe throughout so many of the albums. And there's you know so much we could say about uh, the Teal album and about the Black album and all those other ones after that. But it all started with just a, such a simple sound, a, a simple um, cover. And they've kind of kept that that aesthetic on a lot of their album covers, just the four guys, and you sort of see their progression through through aging and you know getting older like we all are. And but it's still it's that same like you said, it's that same kind of vibe and aesthetic that they have as a band that I think is a, a big part of who they are. Did you see them live for the first time around this era or around the Pinkerton era, or was it later? Like when was the first time that you saw them live? I think. Probably like yourself, and, and probably a lot of people in the Tampa area, the first time I saw them was on the Yahoo Out Loud tour. Okay. Um, it was, um, I think they had, the Green album was out because they opened with the song I Do, which was a B-side on the hash pipe, uh, I guess seven inch or, or yeah. CD back then. Um, but yeah, that was the first time at the USF Special Events Center. And they had like the, the, the stage setup was kind of like the bleachers on both yes. sides, and they had like the basketball hoops, like a, looked like a, like a high school gym. Yeah, Rivers came out, sat down with the guitar. And then, but I mean, what a show you had Get Up Kids and Ozma, which is also the first time hearing Ozma. So it's like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, th- my, that was my first time seeing them as well, that exact same show. And so I think we, we kind of missed, um, I think what probably a lot of people who got to see them during the Blue Album and Pinkerton era of them uh, playing shows, uh, we we got to miss those golden years, I guess, as it were. And um, in a lot of ways, and we're going to talk about that some more, a lot of people, I think, are looking back to that, constantly looking back and looking to, to get back to that time or for Weezer to get back to that time. Um, but tell me, so shifting from the Blue Album a little bit to talking about first experiences, what was your first experience with Pinkerton? Because I know mine was quite different from the Blue Album. Uh, real quick though, it's interesting you say about getting back to that time because I mean, that's a whole topic of just, you know, their album progression and what you, and we're going to kind of, we're going to, you know, unpackage these albums at uh, this podcast, but we're always wanting to relive the old sound, but it's also, I think it's a tribute, not only is it great, but it, it's, um, it's also what we missed. So as a, as a fan, I mean, thinking early nineties, you know, we were you know, 14, 15, 16, that, that time, that's our age. And you listeners are going to come from different places. Some not even born yet, but you missed that. I remember when Nirvana, I think they only came to Florida one time that I can remember as a kid and it was to Lakeland Civic Center. And all of my friends who were two, three years older than me all went to that concert, but I was too young. I missed all that. Um, so I never got to see them. And so the same concept, you know, the first time you get to see Weezer is in an arena and already something is lost compared to seeing them maybe at the state theater or, or, you know, some other place. It's like when I, when I heard Green Day played at the Brass Mug in Tampa, which is a little bar, um, tiny bar and to think, wow, they played there, but you know, we just, we missed that. So it's interesting how you want what you, what you couldn't have. And that's a interesting comment, but, um, yeah, uh, Pinkerton. Uh, first time here in Pinkerton, I was again a Weezer fan, and 
it wasn't like it was nowadays where you can go online and you just stream it and you can play it. You know, you're not, I wasn't driving back then, I don't think. And um, I rode my bike up to Blockbuster Music, which was a, um, back then they had Blockbuster Video. Blockbuster Video was a successful video rental, VHS rental place. And um, something simple and, and beautiful about that. I want this movie, I go rent it and I bring it back and I may rewind it, I may not. Um, but uh, they branched out and had a CD and music store and they allowed you kind of for the first time that you could actually say hey I want to try out this what's that album you have behind the counter it's got a weird cover on it looks like a village it looks like some kind of maybe a village in, in Asia or something or, or and it's a neat it's like a painting I knew nothing about Pinkerton and, and that the art of that and where that came from but they let you actually open the CD put it in a little CD player and listen to this album and I was just blown away by it I am um, man you, you're uh, I'm, I'm gonna be honest my um I, I wish that that had been my first take on it. <laughs> I was the, the first time I heard it. Um, I was just not there musically yet. I, I still hadn't really developed the the musical taste that I have today. And I remember, um, I, I don't even remember how or where I heard it the first time. But it was right around the time that it came out, and I just remember thinking, "What is this?" Yeah. And it it just probably like um, a lot of people. Yeah, you know, like a lot of people, one of the things I noted when I was kind of looking up some information, um, it actually, Pinkerton, as I mentioned, um, the Blue Album went triple platinum. Pinkerton was not certified platinum for the first time until 2016, so almost 20 years after wow. it came out. So it took people you know, a longer time to catch up to it, and it wasn't until much, much later that I went back to it when my musical taste had developed a little bit and I could see wow, this, this was really um, ahead of its time. Uh, you know, I think that um, you know, a lot of people that had heard the Blue Album, they were looking for another Blue Album you know, from, from Weezer. Like you know, a, lot, a lot of times you do as music fans, when you latch onto a band and there's a thing that you like about what they do and how they do it, you, you, you just want more of that. And um, I think now in hindsight, looking back, I can see the progression, and I can see that there's um, there's really uh, probably more similarities between the two than there are differences. But at the time, I remember just being like, "You just ah," oh, and I, I was I was let down. I, I don't want to say I was devastated because it was they weren't my favorite band at that time or anything, but it was still just kind of a letdown. It's like, oh man, I I, I was kind of bummed out that I didn't like it more. And it was many years later when I um when I came back to it. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's like that idea of, of wanting what you didn't have. It's like, what, what, how, how would your life be? How would your music taste be different potentially? Or how could you know them in a different way if you would have grabbed a hold of it back then? You know, it's, it's interesting. And I think we'll get into it more about Pinkerton, but I think so much of the lyric, what makes it different about Blue is that it is, um, it, it's, it seemingly, I don't know Rivers personally, but it seems like he's just going through a lot more personally. And I think as you get older, you know, and you become, you know, just over the years jaded or, or depressed or wherever you go, you can relate to some of those things maybe differently than, I didn't need to go to that place at the time when I heard Buddy Holly. I just needed something that was like, wow, this is awesome. I do think that's a big part of it, just not being able to, at that age, maybe relate to him lyrically and and the songs just um, not not ringing true for me or that's uh, that, that maybe is the right way to say it. they just didn't resonate with where I was at that point in my life but now um, you know I, being older I can kind of look back on and remember those times that 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 I went through in my life that were probably what Rivers was going through at the time that he wrote the songs for Pinkerton um, and it it makes a lot more sense now and I, I think 
Um, this this might be a good uh, point to talk about sort of the four Weezer between the Blue Album and Pinkerton and the the transition there. And there was um, uh, there was some songs. There was a lot of songs recorded. Rivers was writing a lot of songs um, that uh, ultimately did not make it to the Pinkerton album. And and Pinkerton really uh, ended up being a lot different than Weezer's second album could have been. So I, I think I think we should talk a little bit about that. So you want to talk a little bit about kind of go, coming off of Blue Album and then about what he was working on, kind of what he was writing before Pinkerton. Yeah, of. yeah. And it's, um, you know, and I, I don't claim to be any Weezer aficionado, but just a fan, you know, just someone who loves their music and has watched them through every album from the very beginning when they came out, from that cassette single, to now being able to stream their newest record and waiting for their newest album, uh, Van Weezer, to come out, which is going to be great. So, um, but, I, you know, every song in the Blue Album could have been a single. I mean, it was just, and they had plenty of them. Even now, you can listen to the radio, if you listen to the radio wherever, online or on the car, I can listen to the, the 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 hard rock station in my in my town and hear a Weezer song every every time I put it on and uh, and that's what the Blue Album was. It, it felt good. It was different. The lyrics were interesting and, and kind of quirky and unique compared to the stuff that I listened to. You know, think about like bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and uh, Soundgarden, Smashing Pumpkins. Those are probably my biggest ones, and they were very depressing lyrics, but colored in, in poetry. People always talk about Kurt Cobain, how he just kind of wrote opposites. You know, he, he seemed. I mean, obviously, we know what happened later on in his life, but um, but his lyrics are very dark, very um, depressing. But he used a lot of opposites and a lot of colorful words and different things to kind of express those things. Just like Smashing Pumpkins, they're all very poetic in imagery. But Weezer came along, and it was just like a regular guy. You know, a regular guy singing about something I, I didn't, you know, surfing or whatever it was. But then Pinkerton happened and it wasn't just uh, randomness anymore, which seemed it was something different. And I know for me, um, I was uh, that again, like I said before, I kind of could understand that a little bit more. I've had some girlfriends at that point. You know, a few years into my uh, in the high school and, and turning into an adult, I had some girlfriends and um, I had jobs working and, and all the normal life adult things. And all of a sudden I can relate to loss or being lonely or um, all those things. And so, you know, I have um, over the years because of the Internet, you know, it's it's. Uh, I, you know, it's a, it's a good and bad thing uh, for many reasons. But for your question, you know, the Internet has sort of discovered or rediscovered uh, all these demos. You know, he came out with the the Alone albums, one, two and three. And one and two had kind of tastes of all his catalog and, and some of these songs that were kind of cutting room floor stuff. Uh, songs like Longtime Sunshine and, and songs like that that are really good. Um, you know, the original Buddy Holly recording of him in his bedroom and playing and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, then there was this uh, album, Alone 3, and that was a, a, an exclusive that he came out with on his website, you know, all these years later. I think it was a uh, um, Cinderblock, I think it was his site, and it's not around now, but you could buy for 75 bucks uh, this album that had all these, uh, like, 20-something tracks of unreleased stuff, and it also had this book of photos and, and just a story of Pinkerton. And, and over the years, the internet has allowed us to kind of just listen to it. You know, I, I don't have 75 bucks, you know, so you can, you know, kind of go on and just sort of listen and just take it all in. I say that's pretty, that's pretty steep. That's pretty steep, you know, and cause you know, we ultimately, I mean, I've got enough pictures of rivers and, and, and the yeah. Pinker, Pink, uh, Pinkerton album. And I just want to hear these songs. I want to hear kind of, everybody wants to sort of understand rivers more. And so uh, Songs from the Black Hole was this uh, album that was unreleased. It was a project that came out. And, and again, I'm no Weezer official. I don't have all the timelines. I don't know everything. But he was putting together this sort of space rock opera. 
and I was listening to it recently and somebody had a, a funny comment uh, in the comments field. They said, this sounds like, um, this sounds like uh, Bojack Horseman with his, uh, the, uh, the album, uh, it's his name, uh, <laughs> that Todd, Todd's yeah. his space rock yeah. opera that he does. And it's like that kind of similar thing. It's all set in space and these characters and these songs that River was writing were very, um, uh, they, they had all these descriptions, of these characters and love and, and sex and all these things that they were all about. And, um, and a lot of very depressing stuff. And, and people, fans, God bless them, have, have kind of, you know, put together their idea of what this album should be and, 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 and sync, you know, synced them up and, and all this stuff. And you can go on and listen to the, what potentially could be a little bit of what Rivers was thinking after the Blue Album. Because as you listen to this, there's demos of, of um, you know, a lot of these Pinkerton songs like Tired of Sex and, and, and No Other One and Why Bother, songs that are great songs. And you can hear the rough cuts, but then you can hear all these things that he was doing around them, all these weird kind of like dialogue in a sense and, and some barbershop quartet moments of these guys that are landing and they've just come back from their trip and, and all these things. And you can put it all together and see that, man, it seems like after the Blue Album, Rivers was just going for this total rock opera outside the box, maybe was just didn't, you know, didn't want to do the the radio single after single after single, maybe didn't want to work with Rick Ocasek again. He didn't want to do that slick blue album experience and he just started you know whatever was involved uh loneliness or drugs or just poetic expression he just started putting together this beautiful really weird almost a brian wilson smile-esque kind of a feel and this you know and to this day it has a sort of um, sort of a mystique about it and you can go online you can hear this and it seems like as you listen to obviously like most of us have only really heard pinkerton the final pinkerton album most of those songs are on this, except for a couple that didn't that were written after. But it's you know I don't know Rivers and uh, I'd love to ask him. But was songs from the Black Hole what you originally intended that became Pinkerton? But you know the label said we need an album, we need a real normal, you know I can put my hands around ten songs that are great, and who knows that could have been the start of the depression and the kind of then it didn't you know all those things I and I don't know. I uh, when you mentioned Brian Wilson's smile, that really was what was kind of going through my mind as you were describing the the songs from the black hole and all that it was sort of where he had this thing in his mind and, and he just it was a vision that he uh was was really chasing after and at some point kind of like with the beach boys you, you know you've you've seen and read stuff about that whole situation you know now in in the present day and sort of how that all went down and the rest of uh the guys in the beach boys were like at that time they were not on board with that at all and they thought he was you know, just kind of, you know, going off the deep end a little bit. And it seems like maybe uh, that to some degree, Rivers ran into a little bit of that same sort of feedback, you know, when he was putting um, those songs together post Blue album and ahead of Pinkerton. Uh, and I, I think you're right. I think probably they they uh, came in and said, look, we got to, um, you know, who, who do you think you are? Maybe, you know, because, <laughs> you know, he they only had one album out granted a very successful album but still um i imagine at that point the label still probably uh had some significant ideas about here's you know here's what sells here's what we want you to do and then you know they they put together pinkerton ultimately recorded as i mentioned before between um electric lady studios in new york city and then uh at um sound city uh in van nuys in california and so um and and we we talked about this a little bit earlier before we before we started recording how I I think on Pinkerton you you can I think it's the first four songs I think were recorded at Electric Lady and then the others are at Sound City and I think you, knowing that I think you can maybe 
pick out the difference, not knowing that, I, I don't know if I could have known or been able to, to, to make a distinction, but knowing that that was the case, I feel like I can pick up on a little something there, but that might just be my brain um, going crazy. But when Pinkerton came out, uh, sim- similar to my reaction, if only all the fans had had your reaction, it would have been a different story, but I think um, most people had my reaction, didn't know what to make of it, and um, it really kind of sent Rivers into a, a place where he was he was not happy. He was upset about it. Uh, not not long after, I think, for actually for several years after Pinkerton, um, he 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 himself didn't like it. He was not happy with it. He wasn't proud of it. It wasn't um, what it is to him today. I think in later interviews, more close to the current time, he has come around himself and realizes the place that it holds uh, in the Weezer fandom and you know that, that it was ahead of its time. And I think he now um, appreciates it. But I, I, I can't imagine being the, you know, the author of it, right? I'm sure that there's there's got to be uh, a whole lot of other feelings tied up in there that, you know, regardless of what the fans think, these are my personal thoughts. These are my personal struggles that I dealt with, and they're very real to me, and they were very painful, and this this is what I was feeling. Um, and so I, I imagine that that, um, that definitely probably takes some wrestling with to come to terms with. So it's, it's not surprising to me that at first um, he would have been upset with the the response to it, and but maybe now that everyone is is a big fan of it, or most Weezer fans are, he's he's come around on that as well. But um, I think that leads us nicely that little bit of background with the Blue Album and Pinkerton uh, to the next kind of discussion point of what is ultimately the essence of Weezer. I think that most people would agree that it, it's really those two albums, everything that they have done since, from from the Green Album on, has really, in a way, been trying to harken back to, to one of those two albums or a combination of those two albums. So I, I would put it to you, um, in your opinion, what is it between those two, the Blue Album and Pinkerton, that really is the the greater of the two elements in what makes Weezer Weezer. Yeah, and, and it's funny going back just a second, like how I understand why you would be taken aback by Pinkerton and why some people would, because like when we talk, you know, you didn't grow up as a huge Nirvana fan. And there's such a, a grunge, let's just go in and rock out and it's raw and it's in a big room they recorded it and it, all those things and that comes across in the recording, it's very raw and it's like a Nirvana style. And it's interesting to me to even think, and, and I think a lot of people, just fans, can't really understand why he wouldn't like like it. You know, how could he how could he be disappointed with it, or how could people not like it, or why does a, a rock star who can do this go into these dark places afterwards? And I think that's it's it adds to the Rivers Cuomo mystique because it's like Kurt Cobain, it's like some of these artists who have, um, you know, not been able to sort of make it through. And Rivers hasn't, you know, fortunately, but like a guy like Kurt Cobain, you know, which you know released the very slick, polished, never mind. You know, done by the label, super successful, but was came from Bleach and Sub Pop Records and very raw albums. But then the next record they did was In Utero, the same kind of Pinkerton. It's a, it's a very similar parallel because In Utero is super raw. It's it's done by Steve Albino in Chicago, and it's a it's a raw album. It's it's dark. I mean, the lyrics on there are his darkest ever written, and all those things. And you know, and he it just it wasn't as well received. You know, and and um, you know, and obviously we know later on in his life, you know, he died. And it's it's funny. I'm 
I'm amazed, kind of like the Paul is dead uh, folklore that you see if you're a Beatles fan. There's people who think Rivers is Kurt Cobain. You ever, you ever read that? It's I like, haven't, no. Yeah, you'll see, if you look online too much like I do, you'll, you'll find rabbit trails of people trying to, you know, show, well, he was in this band, Rivers was in a band called Goat Punishment when he was uh, at, a, at a cover band, all these I've things. Heard of and, them. And, and, and all this, you'll see all these funny kind of, um, you know, um, just thoughts and conspiracy theories and, and stuff. And, um, but there's such a, a parallel between them. And, and uh, you know, I think re- uh, what makes Weezer or what the essence of Weezer is probably, it's sort of the unanswered question is, well, what is it to you? You know, and to me, because I can relate to, I, I just, I instantly fell in love with his sad music and, and the idea of being heartbroken. And in, in later years, learning about these um, kind of space travel ideas that he had of, of what this whole rock opera could be kind of, and that made it even better because I love, I love Pet Sounds, I love Smile, and I love those albums where artists are trying to break out of the mold and uh, do something different and it's not received. That's so awesome to me, you know, it becomes a my, it's like my album, you know, it's like every band hates when their favorite band goes mainstream because they think they're sellouts and they, they like it to be their little indie band in their town. Well, Pinkerton, to me, kind of it became what who Weezer was and now every album that comes out, you know, although I love them all, I'm always hoping there's that one song that's just not partying Weezer or not partying Rivers, not, you know, um, you know, just something that's just, you know, kind of rock star and in, in, in professional life, but just that him sitting in a room, you know, in his closet with his acoustic guitar and what those alone demos sound like. I just appreciate that so much. Now, I, th- I think that's right on. And I, I think, um, you know, it's it's kind of uh, like the like the saying, "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder," right? Like that, Weezer's what makes Weezer Weezer is it may kind of differ from fan to fan, right? And it's how you how you connect with them. Um, and I I agree. I I think um, I will say though that I, I I think that without the Blue Album first, I you know I, I think if they if they just released Pinkerton um, first. In 1994, let's say, I, I don't think it really, um, I don't know that it makes a ripple. I think the anticipation from the Blue Album really kind of set them up. And even though Pinkerton at the time, critic or commercially at least, was not up to snuff, right, with what the Blue Album have been, had been, um, I think that they had that room, uh, you know, to do what they did because of the Blue Album. And, you know, and then I think really from some of the things I've read uh, even to this day I think after Pinkerton Rivers starting with the Green Album and even going you know beyond that up to the present time I think that he has kind of changed who he is just in terms of how he writes songs and I think that it's a much more not, not that it's not good, so don't misunderstand me, but it's he does it in a much more mechanical, a little bit more of a sterile way, and there's there's kind of um, there, there's a craft to it, but I feel like that on the spectrum of you know something being an art versus a, a craft, right? Um, I think that he has now veered a little bit more towards that craft side, and there there is a method, and I don't think there's as much room in his songwriting today uh, for that personal 
level of of sharing and and just uh, opening his heart up um, the way that he did on Pinkerton and exposing those deepest darkest feelings and insecurities and I, I think that he was scarred for the response to Pinkerton in a way that made him uh, sort of change the direction and sort of the method that he approached writing songs for for the band and and for Weezer and so I think that that. Um, sadly, and, and you know, you, you may disagree, but I think something that was there on the Blue Album and on Pinkerton, I, th- I think um, some little sliver of that has been lost to, to the sands of time. And I think some of that may just be too with him aging and, you know, his, his life being different. But, you know, everyone's sort of always, when are we going to get, you know, when are they going to get back to what they, what they did? I don't know that there is any going back there. Yeah, I don't think he probably wants to go back there because it was, sounds like, I mean, it sounds like it's such a dark place. I mean, he was at Harvard, he was doing, he was, you know, living, you know, all these things you, you can read on the internet if you want in your time. But, um, but you know, even to, you're exactly right, I don't think they will get back there. But I think one thing that's been lost that we haven't talked about is, is the impact of Matt Sharp. And I think if you really are honest, and a lot of people will, I'm sure Weezer fans would agree with me, especially early Weezer fans are... Um, most, I mean, the casual fan wouldn't even know who he is probably, but he was such a presence on the Blue Album and on Pinkerton, whether it's, you know, his quirks that he would, like on El Scorcho, and you hear those little, ah, ah, all those kind of those, those moments, and he always did the falsetto um, uh, uh, lines with Rivers over his voice. He did a lot of that stuff. You don't hear those falsetto uh, riffs so much, or his uh, words over the newer stuff. Um, and he was such, he was so crazy on stage. I love this video of him, um, on the, of them on the David Letterman show playing it ain't so and just those you know just those the riff of the chorus he was just going crazy where rivers you know at least seemingly early on was very uncomfortable being on stage and the guys are sort of that geek rock kind of quiet very um you know in ties and the glasses and in the you know the sweaters and just that kind of thing well matt sharp was the complete opposite he was he was crazy on stage and he allowed all the quirks i love listening to some of the pinkerton b-sides where they're live and acoustic it sounds like they're in a high school or something and and they're playing the songs acoustic and they're in there he's doing all those little just crazy little falsetto goofy kind of things that make that sound and i think also kind of like the beatles you know every good songwriter needs someone to challenge them Every good songwriter or artist needs someone kind of as as a um, a companion or somebody who is kind of on an even playing field, like like Lennon and McCartney. I mean, when Lennon died, and McCartney's always been amazing, but something has been lost, and and you know that kind of thing. And I think the the absence of Matt Sharp maybe has given Rivers the full reins, I guess, taken the reins completely. And maybe, I don't know, you know, I, I know Brian Bell is amazing as well, but maybe he doesn't have the same kind of uh, competition and uh, kind of impact that uh, Matt Sharp did, which shaped so much of that, of the essence of, of Weezer. Yeah, no, that's that's an excellent point. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I had neglected to, to mention that. But no, that's, that's a huge element that changed after those two albums as well and and you know just will never be the same and it's um you know without being in in that room and in in that practice space with them it's it's hard to say but like like you said just from the things that were visible it was clear that he brought a lot to the band and i'm sure 
that behind the scenes there there was even more there yeah. if, if we're seeing that much there's got to be so much more that was below the surface so, no i i think um that that is an excellent point i'm not a huge stones fan but uh people would people would argue that the the rolling stones were the best when brian jones was in the band the early uh, rolling stones ruby tuesday and and those early songs uh you know um those were brian jones inspired he was sort of the he played the the, the 12 string he played the indian instruments he did all that kind of stuff and that was some of their maybe arguably their best most creative when they were trying to trying to to you know outdo the beatles and that kind of thing and and he was the reason and since since his death you know they've just done what they do great which is that that riff rock and it's awesome but people would argue that their most creative most powerful songs were those early songs with brian jones so having that person to kind of bring that i mean rivers is amazing but having that person to kind of keep you in check and push you i think is, is huge yeah i agree i agree well i want to i want to transition us into a couple of um of theoretical areas of discussion and this is kind of uh, what'll be, I think, one of the one of the fun things I want to try and do on the podcast is just sort of uh, ask the the what if, right? You've probably seen those those books in the bookstore of the what ifs about history. You know, what if what if a different president had been elected in X Y Z year? Or what if you know a, a popular is what if the South had won the Civil War? Or what if you know the what if um, the United States hadn't won World War II? You know, what I'm saying there's all these these what if things. So I want to pause myself. What if a lot about life? That, me too. Yes, probably a lot of. Our uh, friends and, and uh, Weezer fans would do the same thing. I bet. <laughs> what what ifs? Who, who among us? Who among us doesn't have many what, <laughs> what if, if what if questions? So I want to put the question to you: What do you think would be Weezer's legacy if, after Pinkerton, they had permanently disbanded? So let's say that you know the critical. And commercial response to Pinkerton is is just so much that they they can't take it, and the band just breaks apart. And remember, they 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 almost did. They had a hiatus for for four years there before they came out with any new material. But what do you think would be different about their legacy if that had happened? If it was Blue Album, Pinkerton gone, we never hear from them again. Well, first off, they probably would have got back together in the year 2015 and started doing a reunion tour. The, the first of many Kiss reunion tours or, or final tours true. kind of thing. That's true. Um, and charge $200 a ticket like Absolutely. every great band does now. It gets back together. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I think I think it would have been very cult following. I think it would have been kind of you hear uh, artists like Elliot Smith, who's a, a singer songwriter who who killed himself. And he's such a guys. I, I love Ben Folds. And you'll hear so much uh, you know praise from Ben Folds about Elliot Smith and if you listen to any music podcast or artists, uh, you know, like Ryan Adams and all these guys who are singer songwriters, uh, you know, Adam Duritz, guys like that, they'll all give praise to, um, to Elliot Smith, uh, those kind of people, or, you know, guys like, um, you know, bands like Crowded House, you know, Crowded House, it's, you know, Neil Finn is still amazing. And he toured with, um, uh, you know, who was it? Uh, uh, the, not the Eagles, but the, um, Ah, slipped slip my mind, but um, it'll come back to me. Uh, he's toured recently, him and, and uh, Mike Campbell from uh, from Heartbreakers, mm -hmm. you know. Yep. They're touring with bands, helping them out, but the crowded house music that was around that's been broken up for years because the guy, the, I think it was the bass player died or the drummer, one of them died, but it's like kind of that, um, you know, that mystique of that music is so great. I think now it would be rediscovered and I think I think people would be falling in love with these old albums. Um, you know, new bands would be hearing it kind of like they are now, but just with this is all I know of them and, and how and, and the what ifs of could they do another one. Uh, but I think honestly, I mean, 
I don't I don't know if they would go down in the Nirvana esque, you know, like that kind of like I've mentioned Nirvana a couple times in this uh, discussion, but you know, I think something about killing yourself it seems like puts you at that you know unfortunately you know and it's so sad and and it's better to get help and to live through all these things it's always better on the other side you know you can make it through anything and and uh, you need friends you need support you know and um but it, it, you know i think about kurt i don't think i don't think if he would have if he would still be alive i don't think he would still be putting out music i think he would have found some place where he can just be an artist or just be live a quiet life and, and kind of found that place kind of like a guy like john lennon or something those, those guys i think rivers could have ended up like that you know he would have his music would have would have lived on and, and people would discover it very slowly and with the internet but i think he would have probably found some quiet life somewhere I, I agree. I, I think you know you mentioned the internet there at the end. I think that there would have probably been if they had if they had gone their separate ways permanently after Pinkerton. I think there probably would have been a dip there where there was several years where they were kind of not heard of, forgotten about. But then, with you know the internet becoming uh, you know more widely used and more access to their to their music, I agree. I think more people would have discovered it, and I can almost see them being. You know, and I'm 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 struggling to think of examples here, but you know, some some of our favorite bands um, now, even you know, besides Weezer, kind of that were you know maybe even the late '90s, a little bit maybe after not Weezer. Not a surf. Yeah, ban- they kind bands, of disappeared for a few years. Yeah, yeah. I think I think maybe they could be in that, and then you know, of course, not a surf now. Still, you know, they, they yeah. tour. Because well, the internet never, is like come. opened up this whole new life. Yeah, they never come to Florida, unfortunately. But yeah, <laughs> that's why. That's another reason we didn't discover early uh, Weezer live until it was you know until it was stadiums because nobody comes to florida yeah it's it's a bad it's a bad spot to be for for shows um that well it's better now i think probably than it used to be there's so many more venues but um you know i think that there would have been that like i said like a lull and then i think they would have been rediscovered and i think also they may have been uh you know you hear you know a lot of bands um that were a little bit after their time you know they'll they'll cite as influences these obscure bands that you've hardly ever heard of and like the 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 contemporary band is more popular than the than the obscure band ever was right but they're sort of uh, and i can see uh, you know a generation of bands and guys that are super into music maybe really getting into and being influenced by Weezer i think that's happened anyway but i think that that part may have happened um, either way, but I think now if they hadn't gotten to the level that they did and hadn't continued on, I think now when they came through town, Weezer, instead of playing at the amphitheater or, you know, at the arena, you would be able to see them maybe at like, you know, the Crowbar or the Orpheum or, you know, a little small um, concert hall or maybe like over in Orlando, somewhere like the Beecham or the State Theater in St. Pete, like maybe, you know, a little bit bigger place, but they would be playing those kind of places rather than arenas. And that, that just... Um, you know, I'm glad that they've had the career that they've had, but that to me kind of, that gets me thinking, I was like, man, how cool would it be to see Weezer at, um, you know, playing at a place like that? And I know you talk a little bit about, I know you, you did get to see them one time in a, in a much more intimate show. Talk, talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, I've seen them. I mean, gosh, now it's at least been a couple times. I've seen them, uh, several times in Florida, but then I, I saw them in New York at the Roseland ballroom. Uh, which was which was awesome um, and that was a great show and I saw him there and and you know I've had had some opportunities to see him in the last tour I, I went to both of the first dates of the uh, but that's amphitheater but you know there is definitely nothing like a small venue um, unless it's a really terrible crowd but that's another story but uh, yeah so so I mean you would you would I mean it's probably is a dumb question but I mean you would rate the you know the vibe of that that small that intimate show i mean how how much um 
how much better is that than than like the the amphitheater shows? Because I mean, we we've seen them a couple times. The amphitheater, yeah. and it's great. I mean, well, but it's, it's kind of that whole set list thing. You know, I'm big on set lists, and 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 I hate the internet because you can cheat and you can see what the set list is going to be on the tour. But but in a show, <laughs> we love it and we hate it. Yeah, setlist.fm. <laughs> yeah, we love and hate you at the same time. Yeah. Um. But you know, it's just you know, the the idea of you know these. There's so when you go to the amphitheater or the stadium, there's so many pyrotechnics and there's it's a big show and that's that's great. But that also makes the tickets higher price. But then also you can't change up the set. Maybe maybe they leave one spot where they either do something from the White Album now, or maybe maybe they'll do uh, Pink Triangle from Pinkerton, you know, and, and that's like a everybody goes nuts because that's a, a great song, but it's kind of obscure now. But it, Roseland or one of those smaller venues, or like you know, go see House of Blues, something like that, you're bound to get a much more raw show. Um, you're going to see some different stuff. I think I was watching um, maybe it was the, when they put out the uh, White Album uh, a couple years ago. They did like all of Pinkerton, you know, I, I kicked myself. I remember a few years ago, I don't even know what album they toured on, but they did. Uh, I think we were like, we weren't even getting along. What was wrong? We couldn't go or something. Know. You and I, best friends for 20 plus years yeah. now, but ups and downs, ups and downs. That was one of our, <laughs> unfortunately, our down periods as friends. And Weezer was doing a, a, a two night stay at uh, the Hard Rock yep. Live in Orlando. They did that. Blue Album the first night and they did Pinkerton the night after. And we had tickets for Pinkerton night and we couldn't go. And I mean, this is once in a lifetime opportunity. And, uh, and yeah. Some music. I don't what know is, what that what is. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> is that you? No. We got some. Oh, it is. What oh. happened? Oh, oh, that is God, me. God bless the Siri. Yeah. Right? Tell no, you, well, no. Or what, what was it? What happened is when the, when the car pulled in the driveway, it connected. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Bluetooth. Yeah. Love yeah. and hate it. Kind of like wah, 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 wah. Yeah. Right. First podcast. Yeah. It's okay. Jeez. First episode. My bad. We had nothing like the, the the small venue. We gotta definitely talk. And if you're if you're listening, and you're enjoying this. We're gonna have a lot of these. We're gonna be talking about shows because that's something we've been yeah. to many of. We've played it many of, and we have a lot to say about shows and a lot to discuss. So the lesson is from that specific story, though. The lesson is work out your differences. No, no differences or, <laughs> or arguments or uh, you know things like that are worth missing. Weezer playing uh, Pinkerton cover to cover yeah. that's nothing nothing worth that it's I, like blink 182 stay together for the kids yeah well, it's like stay friends just in case weezer does a blue <laughs> album night and finger tonight <laughs> that's that's the lesson yes stay friends yes um so uh and i'm and i'm grateful that we have over over all the ups and downs yeah it's like the suicide comedy there's no reason for that you know just yes. get a friend in your life get somebody you can talk to and and listen and just kind of just let time kind of just heal you yep yep so one other uh, to close us out here, kind of getting getting down to the end. One other theoretical question I wanted to to ask: um, What do you think Weezer's career, their trajectory, would have looked like if they debuted five years later? Right. So instead of '94, they debut in '99, and they debut with Pinkerton instead of the blue album or we or you can even look at that the other way what if they debut with the blue album but what if they debut um five years later how do you think that they fit into the landscape of the music at that time and w would it have made a difference in their popularity and how their career has gone so five years later would have been 2001 right mm -hmm. or well if five years from their original five years from the debut with the blue album so if they had debuted okay. in 99 99 yeah okay so, uh, you know, it seemed like 
anything pre 9-11 was still, you know, there wasn't that hanging over. Once 9-11, it was such a horrible day for for America and, and everybody in, in this world. It's just such a tragedy. And But things changed. Things got much heavier. And, and I, it just feels like I know every uh, every decade has had wars and has different things that are just like that change music and change people's mindsets. But um, it seems like pre 9-11, things were still, I remember, I think Pearl Jam, uh, no code and, and and vitality was still was out was coming you know the early late 90s that was out and so i think there would have been a, it would fit right in with that because pearl jam you know i like pearl jam not as much as weezer but i mean you know they were a jam rock band and then they came out with um with vitology it's so weird it's very pinkertonish you know it's just very dark very weird um you know and, and i think it would have fit nicely in that and i and it's it funny you mentioned vitology i've heard i've heard stories and read stuff online about that that album for Pearl Jam was was kind of their way of uh, you know after the success of 10 and versus kind of their way of winnowing the herd a little bit they had I think they had sort of seen their fan base get larger than they wanted or maybe have an element that they didn't want to it and they kind of said hey how how you like this try this on for size let's see who sticks around and I don't know that <laughs> I don't know that Weezer did that intentionally with with Pinkerton but I, I think about them you know you kind of you kind of went the more um uh the, the kind of the grunge you know and Pearl Jam and and talking uh, with those contemporaries but I I think about um you know we saw them uh you mentioned the Out Loud tour and then the, I think the subsequent tour after that when they were touring for Maladroit um Ozma opened again and mm. then Saves the Day was yeah. also so I think about you know putting Pinkerton in just you know dropped out of the sky in contemporarily with uh, albums like the Get Up Kids, Something to Write Home About, and uh, you know Saves the Day through being cool. Just to mention those two bands who toured with Weezer, and it, it just um, it, it's it's hard to fathom because I guess it's it's really impossible to uh, remove the influence and the impact that Weezer had probably on. <laughs> yeah, because you think those if bands. those if that wouldn't have come out five years earlier. Or whatever, three years earlier, then would those albums even exist? You right. Know? Or, or would what would those bands look like without yeah. Weezer first? You know, and Pinkerton specifically. Um, you know, what would what would what would emo right be? Right, yeah. You know, what what would um, you know would that even exist as a genre? You know, I'm sure somebody would have come along to you know d- you know do something like that, but it's um, it, it's hard to imagine that. Um, well, like when I think of bands like the Get Up Kids, you know, you're talking about. Um, I think of bands that, that predated them, like Sunny Day Real Estate. You know, a big you know, sub pop Seattle mm-hmm. was kind of the. They were like they stayed that indie band where Nirvana went and blew up into that mega band, but they were that that kind of one of those original, uh, interesting emo bands that not a lot of people knew about. And I think bands like that from the Vagrant Records families and those ones came out of some of that Sunny Day Real Estate. So I think you know I don't know if. Pinkerton is solely responsible for it, but definitely you're right though. I it wouldn't have been the same. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, another, uh, another interesting band that we can maybe talk about on a, on a future podcast who we've name dropped a couple times on this one is, is Ozma. I think that mm. would be fascinating to, 
um, to get into them. But yeah, and if you're if you're somebody that when we were talking earlier on at the beginning of this podcast about you know people who only knew the Blue Album, you know maybe you just know the hits. Maybe you go to the shows because it's Weezer and you're waiting for Beverly Hills and Buddy Holly. Go online, check out Ozma. They're amazing. Uh, you know Pasadena, California band, and uh, they're one of those true Weezer sounding style bands. Um, yeah, check them out. Yeah, and all, and also speaking of that, if if you haven't already, you know check out on YouTube. Um, you know just look up the um, you know uh, Rivers Cuomo Alone Three or whatever and that'll that'll take you right to what we mentioned uh, near the top of the podcast about those demos for the the Pinkerton era and then also songs from the black hole and um, if you haven't checked those things out um, you know and, and you're a Weezer fan you, you probably already have but if you haven't you know, dig those up and listen to them. It's it's really worth your time and really an interesting insight into the development of Weezer and of Rivers, but more specifically from that Blue Album to that Pinkerton era, and just kind of seeing um, what was what was on his mind and what what he was uh, into then and and where he was at musically. And then it, it's interesting to see, you know, kind of as Weezer has continued to progress, how many of those elements. Um, he has not necessarily the songs, but just maybe some of those ideas and those themes. Um, he's maybe over time sort of gradually dolloped those out, if you will, sort of on their subsequent releases and I, gone back to. I totally agree. And that's the you know, I love putting on a vinyl record and hearing an album from start to finish. I love looking at the cover. I love all that stuff. Um, and I think it, God bless the resurgence of vinyl because it, it has opened up music for, for a lot of people. But I will say to your point, the nice thing about iTunes and about the internet and, on, and Spotify playlists and all those kind of things is that you can you can now you can make your your, your collaboration list. So like I said, I mean, I, if I go onto my Instagram feed, I, there must be twenty five River, you know, Big Daddy Rivers or, or I love Cuomo or all these Instagram uh, accounts and handles that are out there, and everybody's doing uh, Rivers and Weezer memes and stuff, and and you'll see like like the songs from the Black Hole. People can put that together and, and rediscover that. I was just running today, and for some reason I don't know if the metadata in my iTunes playlist was off, but like it, the, I, the song, um, I was listening to Pinkerton, uh, start to finish when I was running and, and the song get right from Pacific daydream popped up right after, uh, the good life. So I'm listening to good life. Uh, and all of a sudden the get right from Pacific daydream pops up and I didn't, had no idea why. I don't know if the metadata in my, in my, um, file is wrong or something, but the feel of it to your point the feel of it fit right there. You know, it's a slicker production, it's different, but it sounded like the same band. It was the same sound, same style lyric, and just about loss and loneliness, and it had a cool riff, and and it fit right in. And then, of course, just right after that was get um, was uh, uh, El Scorcho, but went right back into it. But it was just like, it was great. So you're to your point, it's everywhere. It's not just in 96, it's not just in 92, 94, whatever it's the same band it's just different yep no i i agree well i think um i think that's a good place to uh to shut it down for this episode and uh to everyone who's stuck with us do we do we what do, we, what do you got you got more no i just like talking about weezer oh well i like talking to you well yeah no that's 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 true that's true <laughs> i want to i want to um you know get, get the listeners though we gotta we gotta build up some rapport they might not be okay. ready to listen to you know to our uh you know, hour plus conversations yet. That's but, fair, um, that's fair. But no, I, we'll save some save some fuel for next time too. We Like I said, this is something that um, we've been kind of thinking about doing for a while. And, you know, we, we have these uh, types of discussions anyway, and we figured, hey, you know what, why not capture them, um, 
to uh, to I don't want to I was almost going to say to tape, but to the uh, you're so old. Well, yeah, I'm so old. We'll capture them to the the ether of the internet and put them up there for other people to listen to, and you know, hopefully, um, they're entertaining for you guys, just interesting. Um, we want to just try and connect with with fellow fans of you know the kind of music that we're into, and uh, it, it's just fun for us to do this. So um, it was uh, really cool to do this first one, and we'll we'll have another one up soon. And uh, I think we've got lots of topics and things like that that we're kicking around, and we'll you know we'll post this. I think it'll be up on Spotify and you know place where you can normally get podcasts. We'll probably put you know a notification up on Facebook that it's going up. Um, please let us hear from you. Uh, let us know what you liked, what you didn't like. Um, maybe some topics that you would like to hear us uh, talk about. And um, with that, I'll Brian. Anything else before we close it out? No. God bless Weezer. Yeah. Rock on. So you guys, thanks again for listening and signing off. Uh, we will talk to you next time. See you. Thank you for listening to the Track Lunch Podcast. Our intro and outro music is courtesy of Jeremy Simon. You can find more of his music at jeremysimon.bandcamp.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.